Hey, welcome back to the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO. And I'm your host, Doug Lear. The last shot, the last shot for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Uh, we still have a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're going to get you a podcast extra with Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors, uh, and you can listen to them. You listen to Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. We know not everybody can listen to them on Saturday mornings. We know not everybody can listen to a podcast. So we break out a podcast extra for you each and every weekend. Before we do that, let's get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. You read her work in Dakota Country Magazine. She is an award-winning outdoors communicator, and she connects with uh, the people and the places, the bait shops, the gas stations, the motels, the resorts, the guides, to give us a better idea of where people are going, what they're doing, what they're finding outdoors. Well, Pat, what's cooking outdoors this week? Thank you, Doug. Looking elsewhere around North Dakota, I guess that there's a good time to fish the state's two premier water bodies, Lake Sakakawee and Devil's Lake, that is. Now is the time. While clearer water in Maine, Devil's Lake itself might translate into a little less success, anglers are still finding fair-to-good walleye numbers. An even better success is working a bit further into the bays. Try shallow slip bobbers in shallow water, 10 feet or less. Pike are also mixed in with the walleye. Devil's Lake, in general, has a lot of activity, including along the bridges yet, south of the Minnewaukan Flats, Pelican Lake, and Howard's Bay. The bottom line? Go fish. That holds true on Lake Sakakawea as well, including improving walleye success along the north side of the lake on the east end. Given the depth of the east end, it's typically the last to turn on for walleye in the spring, but it appears that's now the case. Mountain runoffs coming into the big lake and its elevation tipped more than 1,835 feet above mean sea level early in the week. The best activity is west of White Earth Bay, which is between Newtown and Williston, working to the east. Areas in the midsection worth making a trek to fish include Pouch Point, any of the areas around Newtown, and the Van Hook Arm. Try a variety of presentations in the arm in 8 to 24 feet. Look for fish to move a little deeper as the water temperature is warm, but for now, still work shallow. Back further east, walleye activity continues at Deepwater Bay and east to Douglas, Stanky, and Centennial Bays on the far east end. Work shallow in 6 to 8 feet there using a variety of presentations, including slow death hooks or try casting towards the shoreline. Because Sakakawea is producing more success, Lake Audubon tends to take a back seat. It's pretty typical for both lakes this time of the year. But don't give up on Lake Audubon. Just work a bit deeper down to 25 feet for those walleye. Anglers heading downstream of Garrison Dam are still finding a slow walleye bite from both boat and shore. But going downriver into Lake Oahe below Bismarck Mandan, anglers are finding larger fish working around Langlers Bay. Appreciate that report. That is Pat Stockdale, and she is an award-winning outdoors communicator. Again, read her work in Dakota Country Magazine and various other publications across the Midwest. Right now, it's time to get you that podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. You hear Brewer and Agri gone outdoors at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. Not everybody can listen then, and not everybody can check out their podcast. So here is a podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Today's show, we're going to chat with Kelly Blackledge. Kelly is the Tamarack National Wildlife Refuge Park Ranger 
Uh, she's been there for a long time. We've had her on the show before. Uh, but this time we're going to talk about something new. We're going to talk about trumpeter swans. Kelly, welcome to Gone Outdoors. You know, thank you. Yes, one of my favorite subjects. I, I have a very, um, very loving connection with trumpeter swans. So I love talking about swans. So, Kelly, in western Minnesota, where, where Kyle and I do a lot of traveling, as do a lot of our listeners, um, we've been seeing a lot more of them. It seems like every year there's more and more and more and more and more of them. You start seeing them all over. Um, and I'm pretty sure you and your refuge has something to do with that. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. So um, what a great conservation success the Trumpeter Swan has been. You know, it was about, I believe, 1885 was um, the last um, record of trumpeter swans naturally in Minnesota before they disappeared from the state. So we went a long time without any swans in the state. And then um, conservation projects started back in um, the late 60s and expanded into the 80s um, with uh uh, reintroduction of swans to this area. And so Tamarack Refuge served as one of those sites, um, one of the, the initial sites for the last um, reintroduction program. So um, right here at the visitor center, we got to see swans being released. And um, there were about 21 uh, young swans that were released. And it takes them about three years before they're old enough to breed. And 91 was the first successful nest um, from that uh, project that um, had successful cygnets hatch. And it's been a lot <laughs> just upwards from there, right? So now we see them all over the place. Kelly, I, I have two questions. Number one, it was just off of your comment. A cygnet, that is... That's the ugly duckling, right? That's the that's the baby swan. Just for those of us who might be a little bit uh, um, not as well versed in in bird language, um, but my question is this: I know that in in North Dakota, we frequently, and South Dakota, we frequently see the tundra swan. Now, the trumpeter swan is a different species. I I know personally, if I saw them side by side, I'd know which was which. But when you see them individually, you don't have context. What's what's the difference between the two? And and I know that the trumpeter is more adept or more more localized in in Minnesota. But tell us a little bit of the differences. Yeah, that's a great question, and it is hard to tell. I mean, sometimes you know, looking at them at a distance, you really almost need binoculars. But one thing um, to look for that. Um, is a giveaway is the beak and near the eye the tundra swan will have a little yellow bit next to the like between the beak and the eye there there will be some yellow whereas the trumpeter swan is solid black and that beak also or the head shape you can look for um, is very straight so from the very top of the head to the end of the beak is like a straight line so there's not like a, a little dip um, between the head and then uh, change in direction for the beak there it's just a very straight line um, and trumpeter swans and um, you know will are more often will hold their neck up very straight um, you'll see them kind of um, relax into an s-shaped neck but very often um, their their neck is held very straight as well and then of course the sound so um, it really helps when they start vocalizing. <laughs> How long do they live? And 
Do they, like we have a nesting pair up on Strawberry Lake that's been there for quite a while. And I'm assuming it's the same ones that are coming back. What Once they made up, do they made up for life? They do. So, yeah, they and they are a, um, kind of a long-living bird. They do kind of like our loons, you know, they like to come back to the same area close to where they hatch. And um, when we'll stick around, however, you know, it does take a few years, like three or four years before their um, breeding age. So likely the ones that you're seeing out in the field or when you see big groups of them in the water, those are probably teenagers. So once they reach that breeding stage, um, then they're pairing up and moving into um, create their territory in a, in a pond or a lake and will defend that quite um, vigorously <laughs> as well. So they do, they live to be, um, you know, I'm not sure we know like the oldest swan, you know, how old it will be, but, but in that 20 year range for sure, I mean, they, they can live to be a long living bird. So the population is growing and it seems to be growing relatively rapidly. And you could correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just seeing more that they, they were, you know, maybe they're have been out there for five years but it sure seems like there's more like the population is growing but is the range growing too are they moving out more you know further and further out all the time absolutely yeah so um so and there were lots of release sites in uh, northwestern minnesota and in night or 2015 we were getting to these you know we were seeing so many they did start aerial surveys and in 2015, they documented 17,000 states, and that's mostly across northern Minnesota and into North Dakota. Today, they estimate 30 to 50,000 swans. Wow. wow. It's a lot. So, yeah, it, the yeah. population is growing a lot, which is, which is super cool. And in Minnesota, um, swans are protected where you cannot hunt them, you can't do anything with them. What is the biggest hurdle that they have? You know, because all wildlife has a hurdle. Well, you know, what's they do. What, what's, what's their biggest hurdles? <laughs> right. So there are certainly habitat loss. They do need a healthy lake, wetland, marsh um, to be able to uh, successfully breed. And with any waterfowl, they're, they're young. They're cygnets <laughs> that are that are ugly, really. They're super cute, white, fluffy little <laughs> little things, <laughs> you know, compared to some other young birds, even eagles and osprey, and and um, and some of our geese, even you know, as they as they grow, they can look kind of awkward. But the swans are super cute, little fluffy things, and then they, as teenagers, will be more of a grayish color as they develop their adult white feathers. Their um, growth, I forgot where I was going with that, you know, is, is quite fast as well. Um, so they will start to be able to fly by the fall so that they can hang out with their adults flying. And they really don't migrate all that much either. We are finding, um, they've actually done some surveys. They've attached geolocators to uh, a few birds and tracked their movement. And we've found that they are um, not migrating too far. Some might go as far as Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, in that area before they come back. Um, to, but yes, returning to those same lakes and places 
that they did, you know, where they grew up. They're coming back home. <laughs> All right, one more real quick question. How many of these cute little babies will be born from each pair? Is it is it one, two, four, eight? Yep, they usually lay about four to six eggs. Um, but we've seen nests up, you know, or signet groups up to nine. Nine was the wow. largest group that we've seen. But, you know, they do have their threats. They, um, there are other animals that will try to go for those little signets. So that first, you know, first few weeks of life is pretty tough. (laughs) And then even as adults, along with habitat loss, um, lead poisoning can be a problem, power lines, and even some um, human human disturbance can be um, a problem as they will abandon a nest if there's too much human activity around those nests as well. Well, uh, I know I sure enjoy seeing them, and hopefully our listeners now, when they see them, when they're traveling around Lakes Country, uh, or if they're heading to Tamarack National Wildlife Refuge, uh, because I'm sure they can see some there, too. Hopefully they enjoy it as much as I do. Thanks for coming on Gone Outdoors, Kelly. Oh, yes, absolutely. And listen for that beautiful trumpet that we get to hear in our neck of the woods now. Well, it is going to wrap things up for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Appreciate the podcast extra being made available by Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Make sure you check out them Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock. And then also you can check out their podcast at kfgo.com. This has been the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO and FM 104.7. Till next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.